Father, thank you that um, thank you that we've got a mailing list. Thank you that we've got people on it. Thank you that um, we can um, that we can be um, t united and uh, together in this endeavour to make you known. Thank you that you are increasing our knowledge and our experience of you and and the risen Lord Jesus. And and Lord, that we just want to go on with that and um, and not waste a moment really. Um, just to go on and to to do all that you have called us to do, to make you known in the areas that we live and work and, and to all the people that you bring across our path. So help us with that, Lord God. Help us to understand that that's what we're here for and that um, really all the rest of it are just the blessings of a gracious and loving God. So. I pray, Father, for the tonight. I pray for all those people who are not here. I particularly want to pray for Laura and Alex who are going away on, I think it's Thursday, um, to Africa. Lord, that you would keep them safe on the journey there and on the way back, that they would have a really good time with Alex's family there. And, um, yeah, and in particular, that Laura will be held safe um, in that traveling and... Um, and brought back, ready to go through the um, surgery that she has to face when she comes back. So we pray for her, Lord, and Alex, both of them. Um, we pray for everyone else who's not here. Thank you that Alan is uh, slowly getting better. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, yeah, Father, although we're a small number tonight, help us to really see and understand and hear your voice. Mm -hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, we're, um, you know that the next course is Making Disciples. That will start on the 19th of June. And on the very next day, there will be a, a, short, a course in the morning and in the evening if required. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about how to evangelize, intentionally evangelize. Uh, I think there's, uh, it, it's not really a course on how to do it, although we will be talking about ways that you can decrease your embarrassment or your fear or whatever, but mostly it will be um, to, just in conjunction with the new course that starts called Making Disciples, to have a, um, that session in the morning and or in the evening the next day um, to help and encourage people to go out with the gospel. Um, and we have to be intentional. It doesn't just seep out of us. We have to be intentional. And that's what um, we're going to do. So that's the 20th of June. Um, 19th is the Tuesday, and that will be the first uh, week of making disciples. But the 20th in the morning, there will be a separate thing, which is about uh, intentional evangelism, how to do that, how to... Um, to yeah, to be intentional about how to talk about Jesus, and uh, a couple of people are going to help with that. So it's not just me talking. It'll be a couple of people talking about that who actually are intentional in their evangelism, and uh, we'll look at different ways that we can do that. So um, yeah, Maureen, probably yeah, we'll probably record it. Um, but uh, it was a shame, actually. I thought I hoped more people. I hoped the whole group would be here this evening because I want to decide whether to do the thing again in the evening, on that Wednesday. But but um, we'll see. I might send an email and see. So um, anyway, please pray from now on. Even if you're not going to come, uh, pray for the success of that uh, that day and also the making disciples course that people would really uh, commit to doing it. It's eight weeks long and. Um, and it will be broken for those few weeks in the summer, but we will still meet here. Uh, we'll do a small group, a small fellowship group here for the weeks in the summer, and then pick it up again in September. So, 
resurrection, the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, uh, the belief in a personal bodily resurrection is fundamental to biblical faith. If you do not believe in the resurrection, you are not a believer. That's the bottom line. And yet we have a whole church that, that denies the resurrection of Jesus. It's almost impossible to believe that they can do that and read this Bible, but they do. So it's a kind of um, really important, I think, that we who are going to now be intentional about evangelism and intentional about our discipleship making, that we really understand this is foundational to biblical faith. And um, even though one of the uh, sects, the ruling people in uh, Jewish tradition, did not believe in the resurrection, nonetheless, it is an Old Testament teaching. It's not just New Testament. The bodily resurrection of um, saints, believers, has always been taught through Scripture. And I think in the homework, I said I gave a few... Um, Old Testament references, the first of which is Job 19, verse 25. Um, Job, uh, through all of his struggle and all of his trouble, some say Job was around at the time of the dinosaurs, so he, he, he's, he was there at the beginning, if you like, or not long after the beginning. Job chapter 19, verse 25, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. So Job understood and and knew that there was a physical resurrection. Psalm 17, verse 15. I won't read all of them for the sake of time, but Psalm uh, 17, verse 15. Uh, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Um, this uh, understanding by David that he would actually see the face of God when he awoke, i.e. when he came through his death. Um, uh, Psalm 49, 7 to 12, Psalm 73, 23 to 26, each of those uh, speaks of the uh, personal, physical resurrection from the dead. And Daniel 12, of course, Daniel 12, 1 and 2. Now at that time, Daniel, uh, hearing from um, the angel about the end times. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. There is a physical resurrection from the dead, and the Old Testament teaches it clearly. That's just a few scriptures. If you went looking, you could find lots more. Um, did I say Isaiah 26, 19? Um, and so, although we see large parts of the church denying the resurrection of Jesus, that has no biblical foundation at all. It's, it's incompatible with the scriptures. Um, Jesus himself in Matthew 22 affirmed the resurrection from the dead. He was asked a question about whose wife would this person, this woman be if she'd married all the brothers. Do you remember that? Um, 
And he answered and said, uh, Matthew 22, 29 to 32, but Jesus said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Um, uh, but uh, regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So Jesus affirming the resurrection, if, if you had nothing else but these verses, you would have to say that you can't, I mean, it's impossible to understand how the church can deny the resurrection of Jesus. Um, the, the raising of Lazarus, of course, and, the, um, and others by Jesus, uh, John 11, Matthew 9, was just a restoration of earthly life, of course, not the total transformation that, w that was Jesus' own resurrection and is promised to us. But God tells us through 1 Corinthians that when Christ returns, the believing dead will be raised imperishable. And uh, we who are alive, if he comes when we are alive, we will be changed. First, First Corinthians 15, verse 52. Whatever you believe about the rapture, whether that's you think that's at the beginning, before the tribulation, in the middle of it, or at the end of it, it's the same facts about what happens when he, when he raises us. We will be raised bodily from the dead. Um, and if we are still alive, we will receive a new body. First Corinthians is very clear. So when that happens, the perishable will put on imperishable, mortal will put on immortality, and, um, and we will be filled with power, resurrection power. Until that happens, what's going on? Until the physical resurrection of our bodies, what, will ha what is going on? Yeah, and it, what's, what's happening within the church or within us who make up the church? Yeah. Yes, but what else is happening at the same time that our body is decaying? We're being renewed. In, we are being transformed uh, from glory to glory. So which part of us is being transformed? Our spirit is already transformed. Our soul is being transformed. So your spirit is totally and utterly new because you have the Holy Spirit within you and his, he has totally renewed your spirit. That's why it is true that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come. Yet at the same time, you are battling your flesh with the spirit. The spirit is battling against the flesh because that's a transformation of your soul that is going on. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes, they don't feel good, but they, <laughs> they are. Yes. Um, mm, say that again, Anne. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> so that transformation that's going on, even as we speak in our souls was going on in the Corinthians and actually Paul wrote a very encouraging first section to this letter because he said you've been enriched with every spiritual gift and you can see that as you read through this letter because you get to 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 and you know they know about spiritual gifts and they're using them. They're speaking in tongues, they're prophesying, they're all sorts of things. In fact so much so there's chaos going on in the church. So into... Um, so even though they have all of that going on, 
um, there's something lacking in the Corinthian church. They're alive spiritually. They've been made new. They've got the spiritual gifts at work. Um, they're listening to teachers. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. But in the short and spiritual gift, which is discernment of spirit. Maybe. But what does actually Paul say to them in those chapters, well, all the way through, actually? He's been teaching about something that he recognizes is missing in this church that is alive. It's, it's a lively church. And, and if you went into it, you would see, you'd be, wow, they're raising their hands, singing, they're speaking in tongues, they're laying on hands, there's probably healing going on in this church. But, but Paul writes to them from the beginning to the end, actually, there's something missing. Yeah, spiritual maturity is missing. And how does he know that they're not mature? If, even though they're using all these gifts. Love, it's love. Love is the keynote, um, or not the keynote, but it is the, it is the one um, incontrovertible proof of the evidence of the Spirit. And so he... Um, he talks to them about their lack of love for one another. And as you go through Corinthians, you see it displayed in many different ways. So he starts to talk about um, if, it, if it hurts your brother that you eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. If, 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 if there's anything you need to stop doing or start doing that will help your brother, no matter what it is, or sister, then do it. Why does he have to tell them that? What's in there that he's, he, he has to tell them that? Yes, yes. And so why, does he, why should he have to tell them that? Because you'd think they have the Holy Spirit, so why don't they know that? Because there's division. And because they're not doing well with their battle, flesh against the Spirit. They're not. They're quenching the work of the Spirit because they're too selfish. Hello, Sue. Nice to see you. No, no, no worries. Mm. Yes. That's how you can see a sign of maturity. Yes. But, but it's the sort of love that Jesus was talking about. All men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And it's, the, it's not love in a, in a sort of wishy-washy, tolerate everything love. It's, a, it's, it's the kind of love that builds up the other person and, yeah, and teaches the other person and wants the best for them. Um, and he says that uh, he knows that transformation has happened in them because he's, he can see evidence of it. He knows they're born again because they've got all the spiritual gifts. You've been enriched with every spiritual gift. He writes to them as saints. So this is not a question of whether they're believers or not. This is a question of where are they in their maturity? And he can tell this has gone off, so I guess it's the batteries, is it? No, I just no. put it down. A bit, oh, a bit too okay. And he can tell that they don't love each other because of the division and the disruption okay. between them. And so he is um, trying to get them to understand that being a believer, witnessing for Christ, is about love. It's about loving one another. And you know how important it is because his main chapter, the big chapter on love in the whole of the New Testament is contained within that three chapters of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Mm -hmm. So you know, because Paul could have put it anywhere. He could have talked about love to any church, but he chose to write it to this church that were immature, carnal, arguing all the time, and he put it into this 
section that's about the spiritual gifts. So if you want, it, really for me, that's like, it's just, it's like a red flag, you know. What am I to understand about spiritual gifts and the use of them? And the use of them has always got to be for the benefit of other people, mm. for the benefit of the, my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that loving is the witness to the maturity that exists in the, in, among the brethren. Mm. He's gonna, uh, if you read First, Corinth, First Thessalonians chapter 1, um, well, First Thessalonians, we won't go to it and read it all, but First Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul's writing to a relatively young church, um, just very much like the Corinthians in terms of their age, but they have completely understood they do have love for one another. He says... Um, uh, where are we? He says in verse 2, chapter 1, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So this love for one another is evident in the Thessalonian church, but it is not evident in the Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. So he, he has this understanding that this Corinthian church, they've got a lot of knowledge in their head, and, but that, has, that is making them arrogant one to another. He's, that's been o obvious from chapter 1. Mm. So, so precious about Thessalonians. Was, he, was commending them, yeah. Do even more. Do even more, yeah. Yeah. Could have stopped, yeah. They? Exactly. Well, we've so we've made it. Stop. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It, I know. So Paul, trying to remedy this situation, not wanting to tear them down and criticize them, and he's he's he is he's is writing in a way to ex to witness to us about how to do what he's calling them to do and so he writes first corinthians 13 if i speak with the tongues of angels or of men yet have not love i am merely a resounding symbol um, and then he goes on, love is patient, love is kind, love is, does not boast, love is long-suffering, it endures all things, um, or whatever it is, hopes all things, thank you, love endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love never fails. And he's not talking about uh, any old type of love, he's talking about the love of God that is poured out through us towards one another. Um, now, it, if it's possible that um, the Corinthians have been Christians for a while, believers for a while, but he's still having to write to them about this love, what do you know about the transformation process in your soul? Well, the Spirit's been made perfect, but the, my God. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what, what do you understand? I mean, yes, that's exactly it. So the, the process of transformation of your soul takes time and can be slow and is affected by the culture that you live in and the church you go to or you, you know, the group of people you go with. And it is affected by whether you were discipled or you weren't discipled, whether you were taught or you weren't taught. You know, all of those things will affect your understanding of uh, and your, the transforming work because it is possible for us to quench the spirit and grieve the spirit. It's possible for believers to do that. It's almost impossible. I mean, I've just said impossible three times, but it is Im- almost impossible to believe that God would allow us, after he has caused us to be born again, that he would allow us to block the work of his spirit, when all of the time it's that work in us that witnesses to the truth of the gospel that saved us. It's almost, you can't even, why would God do that? Because he gives us free choice. Yeah, free choice. Yeah, he gives us free choice. Yeah. Yes, I know, but don't you think, I mean, it's just an amazing thing. Yes, our children, isn't it? We share with them and we hope for them and we share with them yeah, but think about it. I mean, he's he's allowed that to happen, yeah. which is in- amazing. Yeah. But he's allow he and he's showing us through these letters and as we look out into our world that that is happening in our church. What do you think he wants us to do? What's our response to that? Mm. Go ahead, Alan. Our response to that is. To Get deeper into the word. Yeah, definitely. Showed me, I won't share. Share it. The Lord showed me a vision. Some people in it, and these people just masquerading as born again Christians, and we've got be knowledgeable and have be able to see through these people. Mm. Mm. I can't go into more. Mm. Well, that's definitely true. I think that there are people who perhaps think they're born again and aren't actually, or even some who masquerade. It says that the, the devil masquerades as a, an angel of light. So that's definitely true. But for the m- large majority, I mean, you would have gone into the Corinthian church and you would have thought, well, these people, can they really be born again? You know, they're, they're arguing, they're, they're, they're grabbing the best places, they're getting drunk at the communion feast, they're, all those things. You would have just, you know, like walked out of that church but Paul doesn't do that because he understands that transformation is a process and it takes time and so he loves those people and he's he's he loves them enough to tell them the truth so thinking again about the question what is our response to the fact that it is possible and large parts of the church have quench the spirit, grieve the spirit. What do you think God wants us to do? Keep loving them, Keep loving them and? Um, and them yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So I just said to him, 
perfectly disciplined. Mm. They came whizzing up and said, well, I don't want to dampen them. You know, and actually they needed to be perfectly mm. disciplined. Mm. Mm. It was a word that came to mind. Mm. I love him. Enough to tell him, yeah. yeah. I think it's I'm this. No. No. It is. It is. It is. It is. Because we expect the transformation of the soul to be as quick as the transformation of the spirit. Mm -hmm. At least we expect it and want it in everyone else, not necessarily in ourselves. So, but I think, don't you think that really? If, if God wrote this letter through Paul to the Corinthian church to show us all of this stuff, he wants us to take this and use it in our church where we are really struggling, where we are quenching the spirit and grieving the spirit because we are rushing away as the Corinthians were, you know, on various things, disputing, debating, arguing, following this leader and that leader. And I think he wants us to take this and say, do you know what? I know that I am to make disciples. It's a pitch for the next course. I am to make disciples. I am to take two, three, four people by the hand and walk through the life of, of Christ with them. I don't mean necessarily to do a course. I mean just to literally say, okay, Lord, you know, who do you want me to be, to get beside and to, to walk al along with? Because... Discipleship isn't just received by, you know, by osmosis. You don't know how to live as a Christian unless someone shows you and teaches you. You don't. You think you do, but you don't. Most of the Western world thinks when they become a Christian, they're just going to be a good person. They're going to be a good person, and no one has a clue how to do that. So this is a responsibility that we have. Definitely. Definitely. And also understanding, if they are truly born again, then God is at work. Yeah. He is at work. And maybe you are the person that he is at work through towards that other person. Yeah. Yeah. But if you don't believe that, if you think... Um, well, they're just a lost cause, you're never going to do anything. You're just going to let them go. And similarly, if something in them gels with you, it's possible that... God yes, <laughs> talking to you too. Yeah, discipleship never ends. <laughs> it never ends. Of course, of course. It just doesn't end. You, you don't make it. You never make it. There's always something else and something else. And mostly it's in this area of relationship within the body of Christ and the love that we are to have with one another that witnesses to the love of Christ. So, um, you know, Paul's been talking about this for ages. He's been talking since about chapter 7 about this relationship and all the different forms of it and how it works and, and how it shows. And then he gets, as I say, to 1 Corinthians 13 and he talks about love specifically, then into 14 with all the prophecy and everything else. And now he's in chapter 15. And he's here, I think, because the culminating um, uh, uh, event of this process will be your physical resurrection. Mm. And when you are physically resurrected, that will mean that your soul has been transformed. I mean, so we're not just talking about you getting a new body, 
that will be the time when your soul matches that new body and matches the spirit within you. Praise God, don't you want to be there? I mean, Lord, I just want to be there. And so he wants to bring this all together now into chapter 15, which I think is almost could be the end. That Chapter 16, there's a lot of um, greetings and things about what he's going to do. But chapter 15 is almost the climax of this letter. And he's going to talk about the, the bodily resurrection because it will be the, um, <coughs> the last event in our transforming process. Mm. And... Um, and because I think some people in Corinth, in Corinth were obviously denying it. And so um, he wants to talk to them about it. So um, he says a few things. If our hope is limited to this life, we are to be most pitied. Um, transformation begins in the present, but it will carry on to the future. What does it mean to us that God is doing this work in our lives? What does it mean that he is transforming us? transforming our soul what difference does that make mm -hmm. yes gives you hope yeah yeah it gives us a closer relationship go ahead alan i think it's preparing us for the next time definitely definitely is preparing but really it get even more i think we need to be even more personal about this this is the letter that Paul is writing to this baby church that are carnal in their relationships with each other. That some, you know, it's re even reported, he says, that a man has his father's wife. You know, this is a church that is not doing well on all levels. Yet this is the church he writes to about the resurrection. It's, again, you know, it's... it's really a lesson okay what does knowing that you will be bodily resurrected mm -hmm. and when you are you will be like christ what difference does that make to your life now mm. you know what does that what difference does it make and really doesn't it make the difference that wow i am so not where i want to be but i am going to make it god really will finish what he began in me you know the Philippians verse, Philippians 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in me will see it through to completion. I know that's true because of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. I know that I will be resurrected and when I am I will be like Christ. Mm -hmm. And how amazing that will be that all of the stuff that bogs me down now and holds me back, the things in my life that I can't even stand to look at will be gone mm -hmm. by the time I see him face to face. Is uh, that it's not defined properly. And if you, yeah. Of, um, for example, what uh, how Curry was discussing love, mm. I mean, this is. Mm. So, uh, I'm talking to people, they, they all say, well, this is what the church should be about. Yeah. Action, of course, is a distraction. Mm. It's, it's mm. almost a deception. Mm. It's, it's, it's what mm. they're speaking mm. yes, misunderstanding yeah. the definition of love. Of love, what it is, yeah, exactly. Whereas, Paul explains it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But unfortunately, he missed the bit that showed us 
Exactly. And also, we can mm. only love like that with, with Christ's love. Yeah. Even that, and even then, it's a struggle because yes. we've still got our human nature. So even then, yes, exactly. yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the problem comes, Simon, because love in our culture is a, is a kind of soft, mushy thing, isn't it? It's not. There's no strength in it. Yeah, there's no strength in it. There's no perseverance in it. There's no endurance. It's all yeah, as you say, carnal love, or it's all soft and mushy. Yeah. Yes. And to tolerate everything. Yeah, nothing is right and nothing is wrong. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the coming back to First Corinthians fifteen, our destiny is to be like Christ. That is where we're heading. That is what will happen to us. We will be like Jesus. Everyone who is born again will eventually be like. Jesus. And that really is an amazing impetus because that means not only do I look at myself and know that, but I look at you, <laughs> not you, but, you know, I look at those people who seem to be bogged down and stuck in one particular place who just can't seem to move from where they are. And I know that one day they too will be like Christ. And it gives so much assurance and so much encouragement to us to keep going with them because we're not keep going and it's always going to be this blank wall and nothing's going to change. We can rely on the power and the strength of God who's also going to do some, is working in them. So... Yes. 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 It's exactly like that, Eve, isn't it? It's exactly like that. So, um, yeah. So uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul. What now? In, in we're going to read through the chapter. He is going to intertwine the resurrection of Christ with the resurrection of every believer, so that we are so assured of it by the end that where he finishes this with a triumphant shout, almost. Look at what he says. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then goes on into verse 58. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You know that your work is not in vain because the resurrection is promised, because the transformation will be complete, because there is an end and it will be glorious. So that's why we, he's encouraging them to carry on working and he's telling them that it will be a triumph, a victory at the end. So um, can we just read through the chapter, 1 Corinthians 15? We'll just uh, read through and talk a little bit about each bit. So verse 1 to verse 11. Could someone read those verses, please? Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. 
By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. <coughs> Otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, <coughs> and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Okay. Mm. Amen. So tremendous verses at the yeah. beginning of this chapter. Uh, and he reminds them in this little summary of the gospel that he preached to them. And in that original presentation, the resurrection is given like the central place. Um, so what do you notice from the summary of the gospel that he already preached to them? I mean, you notice a lot of things, but there are just two things that are um, main things. Yeah, those are the details of it. But what does the gospel actually affirm? The, what he, he says, I, you know, what does it actually affirm? That it's through the grace of God. Yes, yes. But don't you think he's... Well, there's two things, yes. That's my second thing. That The first thing I think is that this actually happened. This is a fact. It's something that happened at a specific point, in a specific place at a certain time. This is not myth. This is not a story. This is not something that something was made up. This is an actual event in history on which we can look, or to which we can look back and say, this is what happened on that day. On that day. Yes, and, and 500 people. So, so the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and it was attested to by all these people. So this is a fact. It's not a story. You know, it's not some made-up fairy story. And the second thing is, as Eve says, this event that took place at a particular point in time, in a particular location, was prophesied hundreds of years before, thousands of years before, in Scripture. So, do you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to say the resurrection is not some newfangled thing. It's not made up. It's not, a, a, it's not a story. It's not a myth. And it was actually prophesied. So, it's real. It's real. When you get to verse 11, it is impossible not to believe that the resurrection took place. And that's his point. Um, and his point is that the apostles all preached the same thing. They all talked about a particular moment in history where this happened and that it was prophesied. In Acts chapter 2, Peter will stand up and he will say that Christ was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected, and that what they see happening in front of them was prophesied. It's like the prophet Joel said. 
This is, this is, these are the days that the prophet Joel talked about. So Peter says the same thing in Acts chapter 3 um, and 4, he says the same, and in Acts chapter 10. It's the same point. All the, all the New Testament apostles, all the apostles spoke of the resurrection. Um, the gospel is not the gospel if you remove the resurrection. There's no good news if the resurrection didn't take place. If the resurrection didn't take place, it's all bad news. Um, so, let's go on. Um, verse 12 to verse 19. Someone read those. But, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If, he, if but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have faith in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, verse 15, moreover, we, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Mm -hmm. That is an, a huge statement. If you deny the resurrection of Christ, you are a false witness of God. And you are spreading deception and deceit and uh, the lies of the enemy. Cri uh, the Christian faith would be empty and futile if there was no resurrection. If Christ had not been raised, not only are you a false witness of God, but you are still in your sins. If you do not believe in the resurrection, you are still, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Only the resurrection guarantees that you are no longer a sinner. You are now a saint. Even the death of Christ does not guarantee that. His death on the cross gave you forgiveness for your sins and offered you redemption, but that redemption was established in his resurrection from the dead. A dead saviour can offer nothing. That's the thing. So without his, if he was not raised from the dead, all of it was in vain. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, 20, let's read 20 to 28. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts to an end <coughs> Sorry, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. 
that he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is expected. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Okay. Very complicated language, actually. Very complicated. Not helped by this translation, I don't think. No, no, mine's the same as yours. Yeah, it's this, this uh, translation makes it very wordy. Um, uh, but it, uh, so, so what's Paul saying then here? What's he saying? Can I just say that mm. um, Jesus died for our sins, to mm -hmm. take away our sins, and he rose from the dead to prove that the punishment of death uh, is no longer applicable yeah. if you're in Christ. Yes. So if you're denying the resurrection, then you yes. are still in your sins. Yeah. And therefore, death is upon you. Yes. So it's a kind of a hate It is. It's a circle, so actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, Mm. Christ is the first fruits, yeah, because what did Christ do um, at his death and, well, actually, probably at his birth, he started it, but at his death and at his resurrection, he inaugurated it. What? Yeah, so, so in fact, if he's the firstborn, the preeminent one, and the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again, that's the key point, mm -hmm. then what does he do in his resurrection, or what does God do in through Christ in his resurrection. Yes, yes, that's true. But he inaugurates a new humanity. He, he, he inaugurates this new family of God that, yeah, that didn't exist. One new man, Jew and Gentile together. And it is this new humanity that he represents now. So where is Christ now? He's at the right hand of the Father. What does he look like? <laughs> yeah, glorious. He is the God-man. He is no longer the Son of God. He is now and forever the God-man. So now that means we have a representative, a, male, uh, a man representative, a human representative in heaven. That's the key. He was raised. He is now in heaven, which is where we will be. We will be in the presence of God because he is already in the presence of God. Now, understanding that, think about Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. For he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself. How long did he humble himself for? For eternity. Yes, for 33 years, of course, because he, he laid aside the privilege of his divinity. But in a way, he is still the, the, a man. He is the man in heaven. So in a way, he deliberately laid aside all of his divine privileges, and he is now and forever the God-man. It's, it's hard because uh, you can't... It's too hard, I think, to totally understand. But what he did was he became the man that Adam was not yes. for us. 
So Adam was in the presence of God. We can't fully explain it or understand it, but just in this way, Adam was in the garden with God. Adam and Eve, but Adam is the representative of the human race. And he was in the garden with God, and he could not obey, would not obey. And so he was expelled from the presence of God and all of humanity with him. But now Christ, who has obeyed, has made it possible for the new humanity, those who put their trust in him, to come back into the presence of God. Yes, he's the second Adam. And that's what's so amazing. Well, no, it's all amazing. But, but that is, is so just incredible to understand that I have a literal representative. He is my representative. He's the representative of a new humanity of which you and I belong. So now, think about Hebrews. We come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because our advocate is there. He is our advocate because he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it's like to be human. And he's standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And who's under his feet? All powers and authorities and every name that is named. And that's exactly who was under Adam's feet. If he had only um, obeyed, he was to rule the earth. But, he, but because he disobeyed, he gave authority to Satan. Um, so there's just so much in here. But if the resurrection is not true, none of that is true. None of it is true. It's um, trying, to me, listening to you talking, it's, it's trying to think of the, the form of words which we will be called, guided to use when we're talking to people yes. who yes. Are, are far off. Yes. Mm. yes. And um, I'm, I'm thinking mm. that humanity was created to be in relationship with God, mm. but died in Adam, mm. but mm. rose again to life in new relationship yes. with God through Jesus. Perfect. Mm. Totally. Sort of yes, it is. Right. It's perfect, Philip. Yeah, that's exactly it. They, because yes, I can't. I'm not going to say anything because that's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So it's that that Paul is trying to tell them, and he's going to go on a little bit now. He's going to. Um, he's going to say uh, in those verses, Christ is raised. When Jesus comes, those who belong to him will be raised, and then at the end, Jesus will take his kingdom and ultimately hand it over to God, the Father, and then the ultimate enemy, death. Uh, well, Satan, of course, but the ultimate enemy, death, will be forever um, put away. There will be uh, no death, no pain, no sorrow, no tears, Revelation 22 or 21. There'll be no, um, none of that. Um, so carrying on, really, he's going to now, in from 29 to 34, he's going to amplify, um, well, and on, actually, but um, just read from 29 to 34. Could somebody read those, please? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptised for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me <clears throat> if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
Become sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Okay, there's probably, I don't know, 500 different interpretations of what he means in those first verses. But I think really, you know, let's just, let's just stay with what Paul is trying to teach. He's teaching that the resurrection is a fact. And what he's saying is, what, obviously some people are being baptised for their family members or their friends who have died. He doesn't talk about the right or wrong of that. He just says, what's the point if there's no resurrection? What's the point? And he follows it with, why do you think I've gone through all the things I've gone through? If there's no resurrection, why would I go through that stuff? So while we're all getting hung up on, what does he mean? What's that baptized for the dead? Are we not supposed to do that? Are we supposed to do that or whatever? We're missing the point. His point is, if there's no resurrection, why is that happening? And if there's no resurrection, why are we who are preaching the gospel and being persecuted and attacked for it, why are we doing it if there's no resurrection? Because we should all stay at home and eat, drink and be merry. So it's that point. Do not be deceived. Bad company uh, corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus affects how we live every day. It affects what's important to us. Knowing that the more we allow the transforming work of God in our life, because we believe that one day we will be like Christ, the, the more we go along with that because we want to quicker be like Christ, actually has witness. It witnesses to our brethren, our brothers and sisters, and also out to unbelievers. Because why would you do that if there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's, no, if there's nothing beyond this, why would you do anything? You might just as well stay home. Amass money. All of that. Just, just do that. And that's his point. Yeah. That's his point. Um, uh, yeah. And when he says, I speak this to your shame, mm. sometimes work out, is that because they haven't been showing? Exactly. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, some of them are not believing the resurrection. Obviously, that's you know, partly why it's here. They're not believing that there was a resurrection. They're starting to believe the lie that this life is all there is. Mm -hmm. And we see that all the time in the church, all the time. Even though people will say they believe in the resurrection, their, their whole focus is, let's make everybody's life better now. Let's concentrate on that. It's not so important to give them the gospel. We'll make their life better and then perhaps we'll give them the gospel. Because nobody, and the reality of that is you don't believe there's a life after death because all you're concerned about is this life. Maybe you're not consciously saying that, but that's the reality of it. Why would you bother to... Um, why would you be saying to people, God walks through trials with us. He helps us endure them. He doesn't heal everybody. He doesn't make everybody's life great, but God is always there. Why would you do that if this life is all there is? Because all we want, if this life is it, we want it easy. Yeah. We want comfort now. We want healing now. We want wealth now. We want everything now. And that's kingdom now. That's the kingdom now. It's this word of faith movement. Speak it and it will happen. Why? Because there's nothing beyond, so you better make sure you harness everything from God now. Yes. Yes. 
He had, yes, he did. He did. He was taken up to the third heaven. That was a pretty big clue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even baptism is isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It's all meaningless. Your whole faith is meaningless. And that's what he says in here. Your faith is meaningless. It's in vain. And, and I think we have a whole church who, who might, ev- might verbally say they believe in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. But actually their whole focus is on this life, mm-hmm. on what we can get out of this life. How can I make your life better now without any thinking about the fact that you will spend eternity in hell? Because, of course, if there's no resurrection, there can't really be any hell. If, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if, if it all finishes now, then there's just oblivion. Yes, It doesn't matter. So good, bad, how you live your life, it doesn't matter. If there's no resurrection, there's nothing to be gained from living for God. For why would you do it? You just live for yourself. No, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yes. 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 And Paul, I mean, it's not, you can understand why that might be, because Paul says we preach Christ crucified. So it is that the death of Christ made the way because he paid our price. But if he's not raised, that's what Paul's saying here. If he's not raised, he might have paid our price, but there's nothing else. It's done. And if that's what he says, if we have hope only in this life, we are most to be pitied. Mm-hmm. And yet we have a whole church focusing on this life. It's, it's a tragedy beyond all tragedies. Uh, verse 35 to 39, somebody read um, those verses. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? From what body? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not going to die unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow, that body shall be, sorry, and what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body, as he pleases to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish and another of birds. Mm. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. One star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and after the spiritual. 
The first man is the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Thank you. So, even though, uh, obviously, the, uh, Paul is saying, if you don't believe in the resurrection, your faith is in vain. But I think he's also saying, of course, you have questions about what it's going to be like, because who can understand this? And he's trying to explain to them that our resurrection body, our resurrection life, though it's uh, perishable, puts on imperishable, mortal is changed to immortal, it won't look the same now. So you, we sow seeds. If you sow wheat or, or barley or whatever, you sow a little tiny thing. It doesn't come out a bigger thing like that. It comes out a completely <coughs> different thing. And that's what he's saying. It that to yes. <coughs> yes. Well, it's buried, isn't it? It's buried. And it looks like... it is. Yeah, it is dead. It's a dead thing that is buried and then raised. So... Um, yeah. About three months ago, I got stuck with a farmer friend. <laughs> and we were there all night about seeds dying. <laughs> and we got right into, you know, the, the, the little cotyledons and different bits yeah, of the yeah, seed. Yeah. And he said, there is still something living in there. Yeah. So I didn't know whether this is what Jesus right, wants right. us to do with this. Or, but anyway, there Maybe, go. there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> So, um, the whole idea of it, yeah, um, a dead-looking seed is planted, a dead-looking seed, we won't argue, argue about that, and then a vital living plant comes up, a, you know, a plant that has life, and s yeah, exactly, and so the resurrected saint will have a glorious body appropriate to our um, spiritual uh, trans or our transformation and um, the natural will be replaced by the heavenly and uh, yeah we will be like Christ and think of how Christ looked when he came back he walked through doors and walls I'm not saying we'll do that but it's possible isn't it if we're going to be like him if we're going to rule and reign with him on this planet you know how are we going to be moving around are we going to just appear in one place like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? You know, he was transported like Jesus who was in one place and then in another. It's exciting, mm. exciting. But we can't really understand it. But there's some things that he's specific about. The limitations of our physical nature will be gone. Mm. We will not be weak. We will have power. We... Um, we won't be like Adam, we'll be like Jesus. Um, and, and we will be imperishable. And think about the, when Peter wrote, didn't he, he said, uh, we have a, an inheritance in heaven, undefiled, imperishable, reserved in heaven for us. Mm. It's this imperishable quality that we have for our spirit and our soul reserved, our soul is going there, but also this body, everything will match and we will be like Christ. He is no longer just a spirit. He is a physical God-man. How it works, I don't know, but that's how he is. Just a soul come. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I understand 
Physical body. Yeah. yeah. But those who go to hell, hmm. what will their bodies be like? Yeah. But they'll just be shouting out. Yeah. So well, they'll, they'll be able to dead. no, and they'll feel pain. So they must have some physical, yeah, I don't know what they'll be like, but there must be some physical, physicality about them because they'll be able to feel pain and sorrow and they'll know where they are so they have a mind. So it's, yeah, yeah. Can I just also say something? The heavenly man, Brother Ewan, you know, there was this book, The Heavenly Man, and I'm sure he argued with being called The Heavenly Man. Yeah. But I've never met anyone who emanates the love of God so much. Mm. Absolutely. And he lived on the basis of what he knew was coming. So mm. he knew he was headed for glory mm. and that changed his daily life. It made him able, well the strength of God enabled him to be in a prison cell and, and, and live through all he lived. Same as Paul, yeah. exactly the same as Paul, Isn't enabled him. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, exactly. We're, yeah, down here in the mud. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly, no earthly good, no. But in order to be earthly good, we have to keep our mind on heaven. The two things are compatible, you know. Um, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think the the biblical definition of hope is confident expectation. It isn't our kind of wish list, oh, I hope this happens. It's the confident expectation that it will happen. That's what this is in Scripture. Yeah, and this is what Paul's trying to get them to. If you believe in the resurrection, if you trust that this will happen, Christ was resurrected, therefore I will be, it changes the way you look at everything in your life. It doesn't matter so much. No, exactly. And you have everything through that lens, through that perspective. So it becomes far more important that a person comes to the knowledge of Jesus and so is resurrected into the life of Christ than it is that they, they get you know, three meals a day and a roof over their head. Now, I'm not saying those things aren't important. Of course they are. And we are to, we're called to be compassionate in the hands and feet of Christ, of course. But the most important thing is where they're going. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's worthless, and they will die in their sins. Um, and then verse 50 to 58. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. 
But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Um, Paul finishes up in this glorious kind of crescendo. He sees the dead being raised, the living all caught up and transformed. He sees the bright kind of glorious splendor of what it's going to be like as the perishable fades away and the mortality puts on immortality. And it's, it's almost like he can reach out and touch it. He, he speaks of this and this victory, this this shout of victory that death is finally overcome. It's finally overcome. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He does. He had been caught up to the third heaven, yeah. But I think also Peter wasn't caught up. You know, Luke. Luke wasn't even an apostle. So it's it's this it's the working of the spirit and again it's the it's it's how far will we allow the spirit to to lead guide direct us not just in what we do but in how we think what we believe what we trust how far will we go along with him because so you know we all have issues we all have places where we we've got a difficult thing to get over and we just can't i don't mean necessarily a trial i mean a, in us a difficult part of our personality and, uh, you know, maybe we don't want to let certain things go. And maybe, um, yeah, so we all have those things. But this understanding that all of that is holding back the work, the transforming work of God in our life. And that that being held back is effectively me not witnessing as best I can for Jesus and not living in the light of whatever I have to do here is minuscule in comparison to what God will do there. And it's ultimately holding other people. Of course, yeah. It all has, exactly, it has effect everywhere. So, um, you know, I, I had some questions in the homework that I put online. You know, what difference does the resurrection make to you? Really, what difference, that's, that's for me, what difference does the knowing the, about the resurrection make to me? Because Paul writes 58 verses on this resurrection. To him, it was absolutely crucial. And he, his whole life was lived because of the resurrection. So what difference does it make to me? That's a real challenge. What difference does it make to me? And, and what he's saying is, because he puts a therefore in, therefore, because of all of that, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. There's so much in that verse. Be steadfast, be immovable, keep working, and know that it's toil. It's not easy. This is not easy. This is going to involve lots of difficulty inside you and, and towards you and everywhere. But if you can keep your eyes on the prize... Keep your eyes on the fact that one day you're going to just be as glorious as, oh, and you're going to live in glory with the one who is glorious.
and, and know, know that your work is not in vain. It all has meaning and it all has purpose and it all has effect in this world. You know. Christian church is discouragement. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because it's a battle. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't forsake meeting it with together because you know it's easy to become discouraged and weary. Yeah. Yeah. But you said it, Anne. It's like keep your eyes on things above. Keep your eyes on things above. Yes, of course. But it's a battle. And that's what he's saying here. That's including knowing your toil is not in vain. It is work to keep your mind on things above. It is. Because there's so much of our life that drags us down here. Um, yeah. Yeah. How do you do it? Well, the way you do it is that you just keep on deciding this is the truth and I'm going to live in the light of it. And it, that battle that you fight every day becomes slightly easier <coughs> as you go along. So, any questions? Yeah. It leads into the discipleship thing. Yeah. But uh, what you've been saying tonight, uh, I've got this picture of Ronaldo <laughs> going to play for Sarancester. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And them all standing around saying, wow, I'll never play like that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. How do, how do you yeah. bridge that gap? How do you bridge how, that how do you gap? A relationship when yeah. You open your mouth to speak, yeah. hopefully, yeah. some of the stuff we've been yeah. here. Yeah. And people are saying, sorry. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. encouraging. Yeah, I think the thing is, Philip, that often we're trying to share what I call family secrets with people who are not in the family. Yes, so yes. it's like family traits, not secrets necessarily. We're trying to share things about the family and the kingdom of God that other people can't understand. They can't. We find it difficult enough to understand it. Yes, exactly. So I think, but I think the important thing is that we know this is true. So when we know this is true, it gives us impetus and reason to talk to people and say, look, you really need to know this Jesus because he's amazing. You're not going to tell them about what you're going to get an imperishable body one day. Because it's like, what? It's like, that's a science fiction movie. But it, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> it does. But, but it's for you and I to know that even if we live in Sarancester, we can play football like Ronaldo. We can if we go along with the work of God in our life. Not football, but you know what I mean. We can, because that's where we're going. But he disciplines himself, Ronaldo. He does a lot of training. He watches what he eats. He watches what he, he does. He goes to bed early. You know, it's the same thing. Now he's seen Gareth Bale in action. He's trying even harder. Exactly. So am I after that bicycle kick. My goodness. Yeah. Anyway, so... Mm. Mm. When I read this book, I didn't understand the sting of death is sin, mm. and the strength of sin is the law. Mm. I couldn't quite get my mm. around the strength of sin is the law. Mm. Mm. Is that because the law shows us sin, yeah. and therefore we can repent? Yeah.
before the law came, we were okay because he was coveting, but he didn't know it was a sin. But as soon as the law came and said, thou shalt not covet, he was suddenly faced with the sin. And then he had a battle on his hand because it, it woke him up to the fact that that was sin. It's Romans 7. Yeah. Um, it is. It is. Mine says power. The power of sin is the law. I don't know, you know why that's different. But my translation is power. So, it, in a way, the law empowers sin because it, it, it shows what it's sin to be sin. And, um, yeah. You know what I think um, with the word? You know, we, what I'm trying to do more and more is when I read it, I think, am I believing this? Yeah. Because we've got yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So we're dragging you down one way or another, yeah. saying something yeah. negative. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's so important yeah. to do Definitely. It, the more I read it, am I really believing it and mm. what I'm saying mm. and doing mm. it? Definitely. Because that's what it's mm. yeah. constantly being encouraged. Yes. Mm. What does this mean? Mm. What does mm. this really mean? Mm. And also, to live in the light of it, you know, yes, do I believe it? And then if I, do I believe it enough to live like yes. that? Yes. That's the next thing, isn't it? You know, and, and obviously these Corinthians were struggling because they were new believers and they, and they had all this different information, I suppose a bit like us. We have all this different information coming and we have to choose and they were having to choose. Um, yeah, so... Like Jesus said to them, well, believers this. Definitely, yeah. And also the, the whole idea that believing is receiving. John, doesn't he, in John's Gospel, the first chapter, he says, and as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. So there's a receiving that has to go on, which is what you're talking about, Angela, isn't it? You have to receive that for yourself and say, right, that's mine. I'm going to live with that now. Um, uh, uh, you know, and that's a battle. It is a battle sometimes. So. Yes. Yes. Forget the I believe it. Yes, it is settled. Yeah. Because I believe it brings the I in. Yeah. And actually, because also, it doesn't really matter what we believe. It matters only what the truth is. So whether we believe it or not makes no difference. But it's when we receive it, or it is settled, that same thing. When you're receiving it, it becomes a part of you. And so then affects the way you live. So, Father, we want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you're showing us all of these things. Thank you that we get the opportunity to to, to and fro with it and, dis, and discuss it and, and really look at it. And thank you, Lord, that this won't be the end. This is just the beginning of our understanding of what it means that Christ is raised from the dead, what it means um, where he is and what he's doing, interceding for us and, and how you are going to bring us to be with you and with him. And it, Lord, it's just it's too big on first reading. So I pray, Father, that you would help us to really take these words and receive them for ourselves and that you, by your Holy Spirit, would work them out in our lives so that they actually make a difference to the way we live so that knowing that we will be resurrected, we will be like Christ, will make a difference to the everyday of this life. And Lord, I thank you. I just thank you for opening our eyes to the wonderful truth of your word and the truth of the gospel and, and the resurrection. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that one day we will be like him. That's just a wonderful, wonderful hope, Lord God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Praise God. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, if it hadn't been for that one desire to be God, it would have all been different. Yeah, well, you'd have done something else the next day. So you had freedom of choice. <laughs> you made it, Sue. Well done. Yeah, don't worry ever about coming in later. It's okay. Everybody does it from now. Oh,